Welcome to The Catholic Perspective, a podcast brought to you by rcspirituality.org. Enjoy the episode. When Jesus' disciples finished running errands in town and came back to Jacob's well, after they recovered from their surprise at Jesus talking alone with a Samaritan woman, they offered him some lunch. Here's how St. John, who was actually there, describes the exchange. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. So the disciples said to one another, Could someone have brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus' food, so he tells his disciples, is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. Food is something we need, something we long for and hunger for, something that nourishes us and without which we simply cannot grow and flourish and become what we were created to be. That's what food is. And Jesus says that his food is to do his Father's will. Think about that for a moment. Think about how powerful that statement is. For Jesus, his very life, His most fundamental desire is to do His Father's will. That's what He lives from. That's what nourishes Him. That's what satisfies Him. It would be a powerful statement in itself, but it becomes even more powerful in the context of the rest of St. John's Gospel. Because, in fact, this is only one of many, many, many times when Jesus expresses how absolutely central His Father's will is to his whole existence and mission. Here are just a few other examples. Jesus answered and said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you, a son cannot do anything on his own, but only what he sees his father doing. For what he does, his son will also do. John 5, 19. I cannot do anything on my own. I judge as I hear and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. John 5, 30. I do nothing on my own, but I say only what the Father taught me. John 8, 28. So this is how Jesus lived, doing the will of his Father, staying united to his Father through obedience to his Father's will. His Father's will was the anchor of Jesus' life his beacon, his compass. And when Jesus called each one of us to be his followers, he called us to have the same compass. Discovering and embracing God's will for our lives is how we grow in our friendship with Christ and help build his kingdom on earth. It's the path to holiness. It's the source of the only meaning that will truly fulfill us. Jesus made this clear many times. In his Sermon on the Mount, he put it like this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. In response to one listener who complimented him by saying, Blessed is the womb that carried you and the breasts at which you nursed, he put it like this, Rather, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. In other words, true blessedness, true happiness, comes from discovering and fulfilling God's will for our lives. 
This lesson is so central to Jesus' doctrine that he built it into the fundamental prayer of Christianity, the Our Father. Every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, we ask God to bring his kingdom of peace, justice, and redemption into the world, and God himself has linked the coming of that kingdom to our acceptance of his will. This wasn't just a prayer that Jesus taught us. It is also a prayer that he prayed and that his mother prayed. When the archangel Gabriel came to Mary at the Annunciation, her response was, Behold, I am the handmaiden of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. The Blessed Virgin Mary understood herself as being entirely available for God's will. And when Jesus entered into his own agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed a similar prayer multiple times. St. Matthew records it like this, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. In a moment of deep suffering, disorientation, and confusion, Jesus himself clung once again to his Father's will as the rudder that would steer him through the darkness. Discovering and embracing God's will clearly is at the center of our lives as his disciples of Jesus Christ. If, as he told the Samaritan woman, that was his food, then it should be our food too. But what exactly is God's will? What does thy will be done really refer to? That's what I would like to reflect on in the rest of this conference. At the most basic level, the words God's will refer to two things. First, they refer to what God wants for us in general, overall. Why did God create us? What does he have in store for us? Where does he want us to go in life? What is the final destination he has in mind for us? The answers to those questions are the first level of God's will. And secondly, the phrase God's will refers to the path God opens up for us that will lead us to that destination, the steps we need to take to get there. Let's begin with the first meaning. What does God have in mind as our final destination? Jesus Christ, the Word of God who became man and dwelt among us, has made this very clear. He expressed it most succinctly, perhaps, during the conversation with the Pharisees in which he described himself as the Good Shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. In that same discourse, he explains the goal of his mission on earth and reveals what God wants for us, what God's will for us overall really is. He tells us, A thief comes only to steal and slaughter and destroy. I came so that they might have life and have it more abundantly. A more abundant life, a fulfilling, flourishing life, a life overflowing with meaning, purpose, and satisfaction. That's what God wants for us. Earlier in that same gospel, St. John said the same thing in different words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. 
everlasting life, salvation. Those are other terms referring to the more abundant life that Jesus came to give us. This is God's will for us. Another word for this overall meaning of God's will is simply happiness. And in this sense, God's will and our will are one and the same. What we want, ultimately, is happiness. We can't stop wanting it. We were created for it. And since God was the one who created us, it makes perfect sense that that's what he wants for us, too. Here's how the Catechism expresses this when commenting on the human person's natural desire for happiness. This desire is of divine origin. God has placed it in the human heart in order to draw man to the one who alone can fulfill it. And that points us toward the second meaning of the phrase, God's will. It not only refers to the destination that God desires for us, a more abundant life, everlasting life, salvation, beatitude, but it also refers to the path God provides to lead us there. As human beings, we are unique among the creatures of this visible universe. We are not automatically driven towards our destination by instinct alone, as squirrels or spiders are. We have received the gift of free will, by which we can actually choose our own path towards the happiness that we desire. This freedom is part of our being created in God's image. It enables us to become partners in the redemption of the world and in the building up of God's eternal kingdom in ways that squirrels and spiders never could. But it also opens up the possibility of our making wrong choices as we travel life's journey. Choices that may appear to lead us towards happiness, but actually take us down wrong paths that lead only to frustration and misery. And the presence of evil in the world at times makes those wrong paths attractive to our fallen, wounded human nature. This is why we pray every day, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We ask the Lord to guide us along the true path, aware that we are vulnerable to temptation and in need of God's grace to follow what Jesus described as the hard road that leads us to our true destination. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. In this second sense of the phrase, the sense of the path that will lead to our true destination, God's will is revealed to us in five basic ways. When we freely choose to follow them, to follow His will along life's journey, our relationship with Him grows because we exercise our trust in His goodness and wisdom. And trust is always the currency of intimacy. The first way he reveals his will is through his commandments, as they have been given to us in the Bible and the teaching of the church. This includes the Ten Commandments from the Old Testament, as well as Jesus' commandments and other teachings in the Gospels, like love your neighbor as yourself and love one another as I have loved you. Even the Beatitudes, though not expressed as commandments, contain concrete guidance about how to live life as it is meant to be lived. Second, 
we find God's will in the normal responsibilities of our daily life. This is also traditionally called the duties of our state in life. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph spent many years living a very normal life in Nazareth. They grew in holiness and gave glory to God by being honest and hardworking, by taking care of each other and of friends and family, by contributing to the life of the synagogue and the town. This is the day-to-day -day arena of God's will. He wants us to live our normal human responsibilities with love and virtue. And in doing so, we help make the world a better place, as well as growing in integrity and depth as human beings, by advancing in wisdom and age and favor before God and man, as St. Luke describes Jesus during his years growing up in Galilee. Third, God guides us along life's path through the voice of our conscience, which is able to apply universal moral principles to our particular situations. Here's how the Catechism describes our conscience, quoting the Second Vatican Council. Deep within his conscience, man discovers a law which he has not laid upon himself, but which he must obey. Its voice, ever calling him to love and to do what is good and to avoid evil, sounds in his heart at the right moment. For man has in his heart a law inscribed by God. His conscience is man's most secret core and his sanctuary. There he is alone with God, whose voice echoes in his depths. That interior voice, drawing us to do what is right and to avoid what is wrong, enlightening us in difficult moments and instructing us after we have made our choices, that too is one way God reveals his will to each one of us. Because of our fallen human nature, however, our conscience is not automatically infallible. It needs to be formed. We need to fill our minds with the truths of our faith and to use our reason to understand them. This enables our conscience to function in a healthy way. It's not always easy, but it's always important. Fourth, God's will is often revealed to us through the providential circumstances of our lives. God is guiding history, and even in its small events and happenings, we can find His action and His voice if we learn to watch and listen. Here is how the Catechism explains it. The witness of Scripture is unanimous that the solicitude of divine providence is concrete and immediate. God cares for all, from the least things to the great events of the world and its history. Divine providence consists of the dispositions by which God guides all his creatures with wisdom and love to their ultimate end. This is why, for example, Jesus could draw spiritual lessons from the way the flowers grow and the way a farmer tends his crops. This is why the horrible crime of betraying, condemning, and crucifying Jesus was transformed into the true story of God's infinite love and omnipotent goodness, redeeming the fallen world. Fifth, and finally, God also speaks to us through personalized inspirations. These are interior motions or words that we know do not come just from ourselves and that spur us on towards doing or saying things that help us fulfill our mission in life. 
St. John Paul II, for example, started the tradition of celebrating World Youth Day not just because someone had a brilliant idea, but because he felt God moving him to welcome that idea in the depths of his heart. God's will. This is our food, our nourishment. This is what will help us grow and flourish and become all that we are created to be in this life and in the next. Growth in friendship with Christ requires that we, like Jesus himself, and like the Blessed Virgin Mary, seek always to discover and embrace God's will for our lives as he continues to reveal it through the commandments, the responsibilities of our daily lives, the voice of conscience, the providential circumstances around us, and the inspirations of the Holy Spirit. True friends share each other's deepest values and desires. Every time we choose to discover and embrace God's will, we are choosing to invest in our friendship with God. Making God's will our top priority is how we truly seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And if we do that, Jesus promised, everything else will work itself out. You have been listening to The Catholic Perspective, a resource from rcspirituality.org. Please visit our website and check out more great resources to help you pray, learn, grow, and go. Please join our team of digital missionaries by subscribing at rcspirituality.org.